Okay, let me get out the door. And you're rolling. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. <laughs> so you may want to push this all the way. Welcome to Healthy Options. I'm your host, Cynthia Swan, and today we are going to talk about nonviolent communication and health. How is that topic related? I have two guests today, but I'm going to introduce my first guest, Peggy Smith. Peggy Smith is the only certified nonviolent communication trainer currently living in Maine. She taught school in Maine for 32 years before deciding to devote her full-time work to nonviolent communication. She brings her extensive teaching skills, humor, and presence to this work. Peggy has a keen interest in connecting people with their innate, compassionate nature. She has a lifelong interest in spiritual traditions and fostering compassion. She's a student of Zen teacher and peace activist Thich Nhat Hanh. Peggy lives in Lincolnville, Maine, where she and her dog, Two Matter, love to explore the shorelines and woods. They greet the day watching the sunrise over Islesburg. I do want to put a, a little plug in here because this is, Peggy has told me, the third year in the row that she is doing a fundraiser with the nonviolent communication in Maine. Um, and that will be taking place in March. And I'm going to give her an opportunity to talk more about that as we continue this conversation. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. So let's jump in. What is nonviolent communication? Uh, there's a simple answer and a deep answer that um, we could talk about for several days. <laughs> so for me, nonviolent communication, as developed by Marshall Rosenberg, is a very simple four-step process that helps me um, move away from my cultural conditioning to a way to connect both with parts of myself and with other people in a compassionate, sustainable, and powerful way. So give me the longer version. <laughs> Cynthia, there are so many topics we wanted to talk about today. I know, but just go a little bit more. <laughs> okay. So... Um, it's my experience that our, because we live in a domination culture uh, that believes in looking at things as right and wrong and good and bad and deserve, whether we deserve praise or we deserve punishment, uh, these, this way of looking at the world actually alienates me from parts of myself and from other people. And I learn... Um, from my very beginnings, that people make demands, sometimes very sweetly, like saying please and thank you, but it's demand nonetheless, and I lose my connection with my choice, the place where choice lives in me. So I start becoming motivated externally from outside of myself. How do I seek um, pleasure, reward, acknowledgement, and how do I try to avoid punishment and pain? And I start negotiating all my uh, relationships in that way. And uh, to me, that alienates us from our innate compassionate nature, which I'm so excited that current neuroscience is helping us actually document. Uh, this is not some 
um, I'm just I'm, not some pie I, in the sky. I was I was trying to think of another way to say that, but yes, exactly. Yeah, thank you. Woo, both of those work for me. Yeah, uh, this is not some woo-woo uh, '60s way of looking at life. This is actually physiologically how we're we're equally programmed for compassion and connection, as we are from domination and violence. The thing is that our conditioning has been to encourage one way of looking at the world, and so we've lost connection to this other way of looking at the world, which in my opinion is much more sustainable. So I look around and I say, is how we're living on this planet as human beings sustainable? And all evidence seems to indicate it isn't. So in Maine, we, have, we are pioneering ways of being sustainable economically, in our food systems, so many ways we value sustainability. And nonviolent communication is a very practical way of creating sustainable community, sustainable connection, not in the, um, not necessarily only in the f- uh, physical world of food and income and heat and energy, but in actual human relationships. Great. Great. Thanks for, for really fleshing that out a little bit I hope bit you can more. see I'm really excited about this. I do. <laughs> I do. I see that you're clearly passionate about it. So, Peggy, let me ask you, what's the purpose? And I mean, you alluded to the purpose in that broader um, definition. The purpose of nonviolent communication. Sustainable relationships, both internal and external. And what does that mean when you say both internal and external? Uh, I don't want to be in inner battles with myself. I don't know about you, but I have uh, inner voices a mm-hmm. lot, and it, it's not because um, I need to be locked up. You know, there's a lot of conversation that goes on in my mind that I'm aware of. And it used to be that a lot of it was judgmental and critical. Oh, you did that again? I can't believe you made that same mistake again. Uh, other things that I might not think I could say on air would be the, my internal voices. And I want to create a way where um, the different parts of myself can talk to each other with compassion. Because even those critical voices are trying to serve me, trying to help me have uh, the life that I really want. It's just I learned from childhood that criticism might be a way to get me to change my behavior. And in fact, what we find is a criticism uh, may temporarily help someone change their behavior, uh, but not. But we lose goodwill, and that's internal as well as external. So when you quote make someone change their behavior by domination, threat, or reward, each time we do it in that way, that we're not helping them see that it's from their own inner choice. I'll, true yes from inside of them, then we lose part of their goodwill. And that is whether we're parenting or we're um, work, these are our employees or our other fellow um, members of our community. So, so this, this is a longer, it takes more time, I'm thinking, to approach the self and the mechanisms, the internal, external mechanisms this way. Is that is that true? Is it that only a, takes more time. I'm it, yeah, I think it, it. Many people react that way. Oh, this would take a lot of time. It takes time because we're not used to it. It's not our habit. And Marshall Rosenberg, who created this process, will often say, "Don't uh, confuse innate nature with habit energy." Mm-hmm. And so, so talk about the difference. 
Ah, that we are innate. Our innate nature is based in compassion, and uh, but our habits have been around judgment and blame, and so it takes more time to react from that innate nature of compassion only because we haven't developed the habit. Uh, I think of it as um, a dirt road in Maine in the spring or late winter, early spring, when the school bus has gone down that road one time too many, and then it freezes up again. There are those huge ruts. Right. Right. So those ruts are habit energy. We're used to reacting out of blame and criticism. And no matter when, we, even when we're trying to stay up on the ridges, we get sucked down into those ruts because they're familiar. In neuroscience, we say neurons that have fired together are wired together. Mm-hmm. So blame and judgment are well wired together. Responding through compassion feels unfamiliar, takes time because those neurons aren't wired together yet. But when we practice it long enough, they also wire together just as well. And so it doesn't take more time, in my experience. And is this wiring, Peggy, due to, like, in part, the culture, enculturation? I mean, how we've all been kind of raised in our society that this is good, this is bad? Yes. Where did that start? Has that been, like, with us since the beginning of time? Is there some sort of historical point we can point to and say, this is when it shifted in the culture? And is this just our culture, or is it various cultures. Yeah. I, I think it's authoritarian cultures. Okay. Uh, as so it's not only Western culture, because there are many cultures on the planet that are authoritarian in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is what nonviolent communication trainers do for fun. They start talking about this historical time, <laughs> you know, and I myself uh don't really spend a lot of time researching that mm-hmm. um, because I want to deal with the here and now. Right now, yeah. I want to deal with the right now. I want to help people um, change their life right now. And while the part of my brain that is interested in history, as I get older and I think that my time is less, uh, I don't spend as much time thinking about the that, past. About yeah. the past. I will say that even when humanity made that choice, it was to nurture needs. It was the best they could do at that time, they thought, to nurture needs. And um, so no so blame or shame, even no for blame those. or shame about that. So that in this model, um, we understand that anything anyone does, anything at all, they're doing the best they can in that moment to nurture these things that Marshall calls needs. And innate human motivators is another way that people talk about it. And from Marshall's perspective, all human beings are the same at this level of innate human needs. Where we differ is in our strategies on how to nurture those needs. And a lot of those strategies have to do with how we were raised or our elements of our culture, our society, our community. Absolutely. So you already alluded to this, Peggy, but I want to ask you this. How did you become involved in this and why? So I actually became involved. I, I've been very interested in how people get along. Um, as a child, I happened to live in England, and we took a family vacation to France, and we visited the American Cemetery in Normandy Beach, for Normandy mm, Beach. Yeah. And I was about eight years old, and even when I bring it up, I can feel the tears come to my eyes. I 
I think at that moment, it struck me that there was definitely another way for humans to interact than violence, even a violence for a, quote, good cause, that there had to be something else. There was something in this way of approaching our um, connection that doesn't serve us. Mm -hmm. There was just so much suffering there. Right. Um, So that was an interest of mine. Uh, I happened to be a school teacher. I taught people to read, and yet behind that was always how to help someone be the most productive, human, loving being that we all have the capacity to be. And one day I heard on New Dimensions, mm-hmm. broadcast out here yep. from WERU, Sunday. this man named Marshall Rosenberg. And I was just enthralled by what he said. And... Um, that's why WERU is, is very dearly connected to me mm-hmm. uh, in regards to my nonviolent communication because that's how I found this whole process. And one of the things that I was so enthralled by what Marshall said was that all humans share the same set of needs. All humans, it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are, how much money you make, what percent of the economic structure you're in, whether you're a man or a woman, none of that matters. We all at the core have the same set of human needs. And that so resonated with my heart that I said, I want to understand how to think in this way. Hmm. Was was this a big leap for you when you made this segue in your life into nonviolent communication or were you already on the road personally Uh, you'd have to ask other people in my life I think that question I mean I would say I was uh, but I was divorced I was you know I had many unsustained relationships um, and yet keeping relationships sustainable was a passion of mine I just had no skills on how to do it I had a desire to do it, but not the skill to do it. Nonviolent communication to me is not the answer, you know, with capital letters. Mm -hmm. It's not the truth. It's a very practical way of taking a desire and knowing how to actualize it in life. Hmm. To change your life. So I I want you to speak a little bit about this uh, fundraiser you're doing. I want to give you the opportunity to tell listeners about that for ERU. What are the dates of that again? Uh, Well, that particular training is in March, March 22nd and 23rd. It'll take place in Belfast. And it will be a basic introduction to nonviolent communication uh, to me to really understand the different parts of nonviolent communication and practice it uh, takes about two days. So that's a level one workshop. I offer many of them around the state, but once a year I dedicate one of those workshops to be a fundraiser for WERU. And uh, March is becoming our traditional time. Great. Um, Springtime. And um, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Hmm. My website is opencommunication.org org. Opencommunication.org. Great. So I want to just let listeners know you're listening to WERU's Healthy Options at 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor and streaming WERU.org. And now I would like to bring in another familiar voice that you've heard on Healthy Options before because I have interviewed Dr. Terry Lee Cookson, naturopathic doctor from Augusta, and I want to bring her into this conversation. But um, Dr. Cookson, can you, I'm going to call you Terry. Is that okay? Yes. 
So, so Terry, um, give a little bit of your of your bio here, and then I want to jump into my question to you. Okay. Um, I went to naturopathic medical school in Portland, Oregon. Uh, graduated in 2004. Um, after studying for one summer at a homeopathic hospital in Mumbai, India, which was an incredible experience. Mm. Um, I'm also a licensed acupuncturist, having a master's of science in oriental medicine. And gosh, I was born in Maine. I'm a Maina. <laughs> Great. Um, and how can people get a hold of you, Terry? Um, the best way actually is by phone. My um, phone is 557 2557. I'm notorious for being sometimes slow with emails. And I'll tell people if you email me and uh, you don't get a response, call me and tell me to check my email. And you have a website? I do. It's tlcnaturalhealth.com. Great, great. So, all right, now that we've brought you into this conversation, let's dive in. All right, so we've listened to Peggy so eloquently speak about nonviolent communication. What does this have to do with health? Just about everything. There's a lot of my patients who I say, okay, let's find out when the next NVC training is because this is going to make a huge difference in your life. Um, Anything from I think it can prevent heart attacks. I have a a 46-year-old patient who... um, eats right, goes to the gym, and she just had a heart attack. And I think if, um, if she had listened to me a year ago when I said uh, get in touch with Peggy and go to a training, she wouldn't be in the situation she is right now. Um, I've had people basically get over their fibromyalgia um, by changing the way they think, and nonviolent communication is a wonderful tool for helping to change how we see the world. So how we see the world affects our physical mental and emotional health? Most certainly. All right, picture this scenario. Um, You're in a tent on the savanna, and you've contracted some sort of a a GI bug. So you've got diarrhea. And um, you hear a lion prowling around and roaring hungrily outside your tent. So what would be the best use of your energy right then? Healing from this infection or taking off I would say I would run, but uh, I, but I don't know if that's the if if the the animal would say I don't know, but that would either, be what you want to do. But I think your best chance of getting away from a lion is not by staying put and healing from an internal um, uh, illness. So um, stress will will alter our immune function. Mm-hmm. It also alters our thinking, but but the main thing is for this particular part is it alters our immune function. Um, it alters how we allocate our energy. We have a limited amount of energy. So if you've got 100 units of energy and you need to do, you know, devote 20 units for tissue repair and 20 units for creativity and 20 units for socializing um, and 20 units for digestion, um, 20, anyway, you get the, the point. I get the picture right. Um, but instead you're spending 60 units of your energy having this resentment at someone and 20 units of it being frustrated about traffic and, um, or, or whatever stories that is that we're telling ourselves. We're not leaving any of our energy to devote to tissue repair, to maintaining our functions. Um, so one of the things that NVC does in my life personally and also for my patients is gives them a tool to look at their life differently so that they can stop squandering their energy on things that, that aren't really helpful for them. Okay. I, all right. I understand that. Now I'm going to open this to both of you, this next question. 
resentment, anger, these are human emotions. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't necessarily, I mean, we can suppress, but my understanding and my personal experience is whatever we suppress or resist is going to persist, as that saying goes. Mm -hmm. So what does nonviolent communication do? How, how, How does it, I mean, it doesn't stop you from feeling angry, does it? Nor should it. A- anger is an emotion. Emotions are information. If you touch your uh, your finger to a hot stove, you get a feeling, mm-hmm. a, a painful feeling, and it prompts you to take action, usually to remove your finger from the hot surface. Anger, likewise, is a feeling that gives you information about your environment, and it therefore can prompt you to take action, um, stand up for yourself or walk away from the situation. Um, but what happens is we take that and uh, that anger, and we hold on to it, and we nurture it, and we hold uh, we hold this grudge for decades. I mean, and oh, I see, like the festering sore inside, exactly. or the Rolodex, the old-fashioned Rolodex you put, and and nineteen seventy something, you did that to me, and I have not yet forgiven that. Exactly. And you, before you said resentment and anger are feelings, and I would differ. Uh, like Terry, I believe anger is an authentic feeling. I don't think resentment is. It is. Resentment is what happens when you take that momentary anger. And keep nurturing it with our stories. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. so you're watering the, the the garden of anger, and then it works its way into resentment, but you're saying that's not an emotion. That's not a feeling. It's a thought. Ah. And we are labeling it as a feeling. Okay, and one so of what's the, the danger violent, of that? What's w- the danger of that? Well, so one thing... Uh, in nonviolent communication, we actually learn specific tools on how to identify authentic feelings versus thoughts that we in our culture label as feelings. Those are well, two I'm feeling things. as if. <laughs> right. So when we say, I'm feeling as if you or they should. So that's a way we are expressing thoughts. And thoughts and feelings are not the same. And so learning how to clean that up in our mind, it's okay to have a thought. It's okay to have a resentment. Because you can't, you can't stop your thoughts. I mean, I guess you can, but it, it would take some practice to stop those thoughts, right? Is that what NVC helps one do? To channel things different? I don't want to stop my thoughts. To me, the brain makes thoughts. That's what it does. That's its, its job. It's function. It's its okay, job. Okay, that's its job. And then understanding what information I'm trying to get from that is important. But to conf- I don't want to confuse thoughts and feelings. And I myself personally, I, I believe that we call many things that are thoughts feelings because at some point, maybe back in the 1960s, we had this uh, realization, oh, I have feelings and I have a right to my feelings. And so if it's a feeling, then you can't argue with me because I have a right to my feelings. So then, because I don't want people to argue with me about my thoughts, I call them feelings. I'm not saying I'm doing this consciously. It's at a much more unconscious level. It's a form of self-protection. So if I call a thought a feeling, then you can't argue with me because I have a right to my feelings. And I do think we all have feelings. Most of us are very disconnected from the authentic feeling. So what we learn in nonviolent communication is how to take those thoughts, welcome them, and mine the beautiful information that's underneath it. How am I actually feeling right now? Even under anger, usually there's something more vulnerable. And I want to find out what that is. 
Why? Because in nonviolent communication, we learn to take those feelings. They're the golden road that if I follow it, I find out what are those innate human needs underneath. So the feeling is just, is it the tip of the iceberg? And that deep down in, there's all this other information that is looked that needs to be looked at or as kind of to, to cipher through it? Um, I don't think of it as the tip of the iceberg, but again, a road, a, a thread that if I follow that thread, underneath I find the need that's trying to speak to me. So what is the need typically? Because if I'm angry, a lot of times underneath that anger is fear or a lack of feeling safe. Is that true for... So when I'm telling myself, or Cynthia, do you mind if I explore something yeah, with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. When you're telling yourself that you're not safe, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could go inside and see where in your body you feel something when you have the thought, I'm not safe. My gut. Your gut. And if that sensation in your gut had a name for itself, what would it call itself? Oh, um... If, it, if that sensation in my gut, gosh, I'm th- I'm finding myself thinking. Am I not supposed to think about this? I'm supposed to just react or no? Oh, okay. I'm, just, I'm, 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 I'm like, oh, here, here's the part of me that wants to be perfect and, and play the game. See, right. we want what to do the it rules? right. I know because we I know, think there's a right into. and a wrong. Yeah, yeah, that there's a right and a wrong. Yeah. So in my gut, what would that be called? It would be called uncertainty. Oh, so you're feeling uncertain, maybe confused, um, maybe scared. Probably scared. Mm. I don't like to use that word. Bingo. <laughs> We've been taught not to use the word scared. Because it makes me too vulnerable, and <sighs> I don't like to look vulnerable. Yeah, I and like to look strong. So in nonviolent communication, we come to see that our vulnerability becomes our true strength. Mm, there was a TED Talk, and I can't remember who was on it not that long ago, and, and I remember this researcher talking about vulnerability, and it kind of blew out of the water a lot of things I had believed up until then. it it might I'm be yeah sure she yeah did a yeah yeah brilliant one on, on vulnerability on vulnerability and so that. let let's let's go with vulnerability where does that to be you you just made that comment that about vulnerability being a strength how is that so it's my experience that when I um, can be authentically vulnerable and express that, it opens people's hearts. And that's when we can start to talk about the situation from a really deep place in both of the people involved. And when I stay defended, I rarely can actually touch someone's heart. Our minds can argue with each other forever. We're very good at that. Yeah, it's blame and shame and and who's right and who's wrong. Yes. And... uh, It's been my experience that in work situations, in family situations, it's when I actually can express my vulnerability clearly without blaming the other person for it, not making the other person responsible for my vulnerability, but understanding my vulnerability comes from a a true revealing of my inner self, that that's what opens other people's hearts. So Terry, using, jumping on what Peggy just shared with us, you said, I'm going to go back, segue to this patient okay. who had the, the heart attack, right, mm-hmm. the MI. And you said that your, your feeling on this was that... My thought. Or your thought was that if she had gotten involved in nonviolent communication, it may have stopped that. Is it, is mm-hmm. it because 
of the vulnerability. Why did you make that statement? Yeah, that's a good question. I know I'm really putting you on the. I know. I'm putting you on um, the hot seat here. <laughs> well, we like to think that um, that our brain is uh, in our culture. We're very left-brained. We're very much into the brain and the the thought process and the linear thinking, um, and we kind of have a tendency to think that um, the right brain, the softer, um, artistic uh, side, right, the intuitive, intuitive. Is, is weaker. But then we're totally ignoring that the heart is also a brain. Um, and uh, Peggy and I were talking about the movie I Am, which I think she was going to mention, and I just beat her to it. Um, <laughs> so, so talk about that. Uh, Why do you bring that up here? Um, they do a, a wonderful reference to heart math. Um, ah, yes. And about how um, feelings are actually emanating from the heart. Yeah, these are actually studies. There yes. are actual scientific studies where, you know, completely... Random, double-blind, placebo. All the things <laughs> that the scientists, you know, that those left-brainers want. Exactly. About the, the um, importance of coming from the heart. And mm-hmm. the heart, I think the heart, something about their work, doesn't the heart have like this greater frequency or the frequency waves are greater. It's something about that in terms of how far out that goes in terms of energy and frequency mm-hmm. versus just the the thought. Mm-hmm. And how they measure that, I'm not quite sure because I have no understanding of that. But I remember having read that. Mm-hmm. And um, there have been other scientists and some of the noetic science people mm-hmm. who have talked about um, and the quantum physicists about this work. It's, right. it's starting to become more acceptable, I think, um, and it all, it's so interesting that, uh, you know, as an acupuncturist, uh, um, I also get to think in terms of Chinese medicine. And this is stuff that the Chinese have known for thousands of years. Um, they, um, they see the heart not so much as a physical entity, you know, a pump or... Um, a muscle. Uh, right. They see it as actually the, um, the receptacle for our divine inspiration. Mm. So if we are clouding that over with our stories, with our resentments, with our stuff, with our desires, um, we're no longer open to our divine inspiration. And you can't get to the heart of the matter. There you go. We become We even use it in our language, don't we? Hard-hearted. Mm-hmm. Is it open-hearted? Yes. We have language for that. Um, do you want to add to that, Peggy? Well, I think what was coming into my mind was I, I'm not sure it's important to quote exactly what the heart math and other scientists think at this moment. We're so learning. It's such a new, not new, it's old, but maybe a new way of understanding all this, that whatever is the numbers right now is just what it is right now. And mm-hmm. a year from now, two years from now, uh, it'll be different. What I think is exciting about it is to is the integration of our thinking, that our thinking doesn't only reside in the brain. Mm. That's, to me, what I really enjoy about the heart math piece, that our heart also thinks. And how do we create the wisdom of joining, not separating the thinking of the brain versus the thinking of the heart, but joining and integrating all of the wisdom that we have as a human being? Because ultimately, it empowers us and we're happier. And we create more empowerment and more happiness around us. So it's the interconnectedness of the brain or the thought with the heart, not one exclusive of the other. Yes, yes. The so heart math. And that kind of makes me think of holistic medicine. Oh, go figure. Right? Yeah, because isn't that the model there? <laughs> right. It's that everything is related and interconnected. Right. 
And, and there's this wonderful quote, and I always mess the guy's name up, Pierre Chardin de Teilhard. Um, he said, we're not, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. So we are more spirit than, than body. Mm -hmm. um, and we could go back to, you know, things that Descartes said um, hundreds of years ago. Um, but we're not going to do that because we're talking about holistic medicine. Right, here right. Now. But but that that's that's great. You are listening to um, WERU Healthy Options. My name is Cynthia Swan, and my guests today are Peggy Smith, nonviolent communication instructor, and Dr. Terry Cookson, naturopathic physician. You're listening at at 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming WERU.org. So let's continue this conversation. I would love to jump in and tie okay. in what we just said before yeah, your yeah. station identification, which is notice how we might take this sense of ourselves as spiritual beings and make it another should. I shouldn't take things personally. I should be more compassionate. I should be open-hearted. But how do I take my conditioned self and move in that direction? That's what nonviolent communication helps us do. It's a very practical strategy instead of just having one more should that I should on myself. Mm -hmm. I should be a nicer person. I should be a better person. But how do I? I'm a conditioned person. How do I? I, I think of the human connection on a continuum, and one end of the continuum is authentic harmony, authentic connection, and the other end of the continuum is the most violent forms of violence. Mm-hmm. We're all on this continuum at every moment, moving in towards one end or the other end, because we're alive. We're not a good person or a bad person. We're a constantly changing person. Well, it has more to do with the choices, right? It's not about good or bad. It's we're making these choices all the time. Yes, and life happens. So I've just had a beautiful meditation, and then I'm uh, getting in my car and trying to pull out of my driveway, and I don't like the way another driver's behaving. All of a sudden, I'm irritated. Mm. Okay? So it's like then I've just turned in a certain direction towards disconnection. Nonviolent communication helps me turn towards the end of con authentic Harmony, authentic connection, no matter where I am on the continuum. Even if I have just thought or done something very violent, I can remember that I can choose back towards connection. So how, how, how do you give, give, us a, give our listeners a strategy of how to, how to, how to do that? Let, let's take that scenario. You had a beautiful meditation. You're feeling absolutely full of love and relaxed and very peaceful. You get on the road, and someone cuts you off and almost, let's say, clips your car, almost hits you, and, it, and you're rattled by it. How, what, what do you do? What, 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 what's the sequence for you? Mm. So I, I'd like to just take a few minutes then and explain sort of the basics of nonviolent communication. Okay, great. Okay. And I call this the four chairs. So if you would imagine uh, four chairs in front of you, um, I might, my mind might be what I call sitting in chair one. And chair one thinking, and this happens, someone's driving is, I have is, they clipped my car. That's not all missing my car. It's actually touching my car, right? Mm -hmm. So okay. I, there's a part of me that's very scared. Mm -hmm. So in chair one thinking, my mind might say something like, that jerk that irresponsible jerk, what the heck is the matter with them? Why? They shouldn't be behind the wheel of a car, blah, 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 right? So mm -hmm. in chair one thinking, there's a problem. 
and it's the other person's fault. Blame. It's blaming, and I'm blaming them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, another option is to be in chair two thinking, and that would be, what's the matter with me? Uh, I, I, I shouldn't have been driving this fast. I should have known better. I should have been going slower. Uh, I should have been more careful. I should have been looking more carefully. What's the matter with me? Why did I, how did I do this? How did I make this mistake? Or I made this mistake again. So when I'm in chair two thinking, there's still blame, but this time I'm blaming me. Mm-hmm. Right? And the reality is that I've been conditioned in my, in this culture to constantly be trying to figure out whose fault things are. Because somehow, if I only know whose fault it is, then somehow it'll make it better. It's just been my conditioning. It's not my experience that that's true. It's just I've been conditioned to think that if I know whose fault it is... You can remedy it. I can remedy it, or it'll be better. So I spend my entire day in chair one or chair two thinking. And by the end of the day, I'm exhausted because I've spent my entire time trying to figure out whose battling, fault things are. Battling. Yes. Battling sure. someone without or within. Yes. And I'm not sure that it's always about I can make it better. It's just, oh, good, at least I know who to blame. <clears throat> because sometimes we like to just sit there in our misery and say, oh, poor me. Uh, the world is doing bad things to me. Or, oh, our people. Uh, well, and blame yeah. always feels feels better to, to like just have an answer for something that you could place it on. I don't know if it feels better. Well, I shouldn't say that in that regard. I'm thinking of the old Abraham stuff that blame blaming without is better than sometimes taking personal responsibility. But here I'm hearing Peggy saying even taking personal responsibility is detrimental and is an act of violence because you keep dissing yourself and picking yourself apart. Well, Cynthia, I'm intrigued by how you're using the word responsibility, which is how we usually use it in our culture, who's at fault. Right. So we we um, confuse the word responsibility with fault. And in nonviolent communication, we take back the word responsibility. So what does responsibility mean in that, um, in that format of yeah. nonviolent communication? That I actually am empowered to be conscious of which chair my mind is in right now and decide if that's where I want to be or not. So there's actually not, I even want you to hear, it's nothing the matter with sitting in chair one or chair two, finding blame. From a nonviolent communication perspective, there's nothing the matter with that. It's just, I get to choose, is it serving me? Is it really serving me to be here? And there's no right or wrong. See, I noticed that, because I've just told you the first part of the model, chair okay. one and ch- chair right. two. There's also chair three and chair four. Okay, Stay we haven't tuned. gotten there yet. We haven't gotten there yet. Okay. So... And what I find is that when I often introduce this model, people begin to think that chair one and two are wrong, which is chair one thinking. Okay. All right. And that's what we're trying to get away from. Okay. So, all right. So, well, I'm not even sure I want to say we're trying to get away from it. I want people to understand there are more options. We're expanding our options. We're expanding our healthy options. Okay. So, blaming (laughs) others. Blaming others, chair one. Yes. Blaming ourselves, chair Chair two. two. And then if I'm highly skilled, I can be sometimes what I call chair bedextrous. Back and forth. (laughs) Well, no, firmly seated in both. So part of my mind is making it your fault, and part of my mind is making it my fault. Shared responsibility. Shared responsibility. Not responsibility. Shared blame. Shared blame. blame. I want to now that I've got a new definition for responsibility. Yes. We talk about responsibility in NBC as respondability. I'm going to increase my options for responding. Okay. And ultimately, I empower myself to, to actually make uh, the choices. Instead of, in our culture, we often refer to this phrase, you make me feel. Right. Or that makes me feel. Right. Getting back to the feelings. If I'm even aware of how I'm feeling, I assign blame. 
of you caused it or my stupid, quote, stupid behavior caused it. No, we come to see that our, our emotional state actually is our need speaking to us. Mm-hmm. So when something happens, that car clips me, I realize I feel terrified. I feel afraid. I feel worried. I feel concerned. Not it made me feel that way. No, I feel that way because of the needs of well-being, consideration, peace, harmony, safety. It's my own needs that are stimulating these feelings, not your behavior. Mm, and I have a little story shifting. to share about that. A paradigm okay. shift, but I don't. I want to know, should I share that quick story or should I go to chair three or four? Go ahead, share the story. And I do hope we get to say what needs are. Great. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so so we, we've got about a good 20 minutes yet. Oh, fantastic. So uh, part of this comes from when Marshall Rosenberg was a little boy. Uh, he lived in Detroit. And uh, one of the things that happened was his grandmother became very sick and came to live in his family, and she became bedridden and unable to take care of herself. And he had two uncles that would take turns coming at night to help feed and bathe his grandmother, Mm -hmm. their mother. And what he noticed is one uncle tended to be cheerful, pleasant, happy, singing, light, feeding and bathing his mother. The other uncle tended to be grouchy, irritable, grumpy, feeding and bathing his mother. And so here Marshall was a little boy seeing two men doing exactly the same thing, but coming at it from a very different emotional state. And so it began to awaken in him this possibility that there was something else that was creating their emotional state, not the external act. Mm. And to me, I, re- I love that imagery. It's a simple way for me to remember, oh, that's right. It's not always what's out here that's causing this reaction in me. It's something beautiful in me that Marshall happens to have labeled as needs. Okay, okay. great. All right. So now I want to get to what are some other options. So that car clips my car. If my mind is in chair three thinking... What I do is I self-connect. How am I thinking? Right? How am I feeling right now? I also might want to know what I'm thinking, but I'm really interested in what am I feeling? I'm feeling terrified, stunned, shocked, annoyed. I don't know what I'm thinking, right? I'm just imagining right now. Mm-hmm. And then I use that information to go down into not finding fault and blame, but what are the needs that are really triggered right now? or activated. It might be the need of safety, uh, ease, um, honoring agreements, all these different, like if I'm in an accident, now I'm going to be late to picking up my friend. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, these are all these needs that could be activated in any moment. So in chair three, what I'm doing is self-connecting. What are the feelings I'm having? And what are the needs underneath those feelings? And it can sound very strange to people. Because we're not used to thinking this way. But with practice, it becomes a quick uh, thing. It becomes how I react to life. So chair three is what am I feeling? And what are the needs underneath those feelings? And what's the need that uh, going under that feeling? Yeah. And I want to say needs because it's rarely a need. It's rarely a single feeling or a single need. It's a tapestry of feelings because it's a symphony of needs. And, And in this context, need is defined as... That universal energy that every human being on the planet shares. And I can help us um, 
investigate that, but I'd like to do chair four first. Yep, so yep, we finish okay. this thing yes, and then we yes. can get to that. By all means. Is that okay? That's great. Yeah. I just want to say that after doing NVC, uh, starting to learn it, um, I was rear-ended a, a few years ago. And I got out of the car, and my first thought was, I'm supposed to be angry. <clears throat> I should be angry at her for driving so stupidly. And instead, I was like, I hope that little kid is okay. I was just so shocked, because I know if that had happened 10 years earlier, I would have been. I would have been uh, angry. angry, and it would have shown. And I wouldn't have known that underneath was terror or even compassion. I wouldn't have known what the feelings were underneath it. Very interesting. But I, I was just fascinated by thinking, I'm supposed to be angry right now, and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. So nonviolent communication is about having a, an authentic, honest life, not what I think I should be feeling right. or, or laying that on. Or, or program feeling, or where program. it's a knee-jerk reaction because of the neuropathways that this is just the way you've always done it, so this is the way you continue. So here you're breaking the chain in a way. Yes, and I can actually have the life I'm actually having. So, so what's <laughs> chair number four? All right, so in chair number four thinking... I come to understand in this process that anything anyone does, they're also doing the best they can in that moment, and that they're also having feelings that are connected to needs. So chair four is a curiosity about the other person's feelings and needs. Which is kind of what Terry... What I'm hearing is that, or I'm guessing, is that Terry was able inside to connect to her own feelings and needs, and that self-connection... Because we are compassionate, empathic beings as humans, we naturally become interested in the other person's needs. It's natural. We don't have to force ourselves to do it. It Mm -hmm. just flows. So is this like that old saying of walking in someone else's moccasins or someone else's shoes? Does that fit into this model or not really? You know, so here what I think you're bringing up is the, the fact that the word empathy is starting to have many different meanings. And that is one definition of empathy. It's uh, what President Obama is referring to when he writes about empathy, that I'm looking at the world through your eyes. And in nonviolent communication, we tend to define empathy a little bit differently, but it all works. Okay. I, again, I don't, th- I don't think it helps us to start parsing out all the different okay. definitions of empathy. Okay, but the four chairs. Yes. Blaming the other. Yes. Blaming the self. Yes. Self-connecting to the feelings and needs flowing in me in this moment is chair Chair three. And chair four is a curiosity about the feelings and needs flowing in you at this moment. So a curiosity about the other. Yes. So internal Mm -hmm. in chair three, Mm -hmm. and then it goes external in chair four. Yes. And you can't do chair four without doing chair three. So you can't skip. Okay. Can can you do chair, um, you can do chair one without doing chair three, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you, can, you can blame the other person without ever getting to what's deeper inside you. Mm-hmm. You can also do chair two, correct? Blame yourself mm-hmm. without ever getting deeper to what's underneath that. Mm-hmm. So chair three and four, is that like the advanced program? <laughs> well, to me, I mean, chair three and chair four are the options that NVC helps me connect with. That's what I learned through practicing nonviolent communication is what it, it's – what it means to be in chair three, and what it means to be in chair four. It, so it, it opens up twice as many possibilities of how to respond to whatever life presents. I'd say more than twice as many. Ah. Two. Just because, you know, 
blaming the other or blaming the self, that's very limited. It's restrictive. It's, it's, yeah, you just keep going in the same circle over It's the and gerbil over and on over. the wheel, right? Exactly. And then once you get to chair three, oh, there's feelings, and oh, there's other feelings, and oh, there's needs. And I never knew I had needs. In fact, my first uh, NVC training, uh, Friday evening, Peggy does a, a two-hour intro, or she did at, at that point, and um, she said one thing that we hope to do in the course of this weekend is um, get in touch with our beautiful human needs. And I'm like, speak for yourself. I couldn't say the N-word. It was a four-letter word. Yeah. Um, and uh, sure enough, by the end of it, it's like, oh, my gosh, I have these basic human needs that I share with every other human, which is a nice segue into what are needs. Mm -hmm. And I want to I'm sorry, I had a thought now, like, oh, my goodness, I opened my mouth and the thought disappeared. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I can do innate human needs. Um, so one way I help people connect to what Marshall's talking about, he happened to label it a need. And I sometimes wish he'd chosen a different word, but he didn't. He used the word need. Okay. So, uh, and I... What word, out of curiosity, would you have liked to have seen? Well, there? right. Some people are calling it universal human motivators, Mm. And I find that uh, that uh, that we don't have as much inner resistance to the word motivator as we do to, to the, the word, word need. Because mm. no one wants to appear needy. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yet what we find in what Marshall's talking about is that we're needful. Mm. And we're all very needful. Oh, I remember now what I wanted to say, which is, as you were saying, Cynthia, this seems uh, vast. This is a vast exploration, which I think it is. Mm -hmm. And what I keep hearing from people over and over again is that a two-day intro workshop can change your life. Mm -hmm. Just two days. Just two it. days I mean, can this, change this your this life. Remind, I'm the devil's advocate, okay? Because this is like, oh, you go to this and you get certified in a weekend and boom, all of a sudden you're there. But you're, you're, that's a strong statement. And you have seen that to be the case? I get feedback from people all the time. I'm not saying that you will fully integrate nonviolent communication in two days. Because that's a process. It, it's mm -hmm. an, it's to, a to lifelong that. process. Uh, and it's so deep. I mean, it's a very deep, deep process to, to explore how humanity could change course. So, Terry, you... And that was a very powerful thing she just said. Yeah, how, so humanity, how can change, humanity can change course, course right. Yes. Because I've 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 I thought about that as I was doing my own reading and the little the research in, into Marshall's work and what you had up and I, and I thought that very thing is how can this could this really be embraced by a whole culture? Could this really you know? And I was thinking in my lifetime could I live to see this happen? Wow! Yeah. And I think there are cultures that are based on that. Please don't ask me where they are. You know because. Uh, I think there are maybe still a few cultures that have not been totally indoctrinated by authoritarian uh, structures. So it's not about learning a whole different way to be. It's rediscovering our innate human capacities. And that's why Marshall says it's so much easier to learn NVC than to have been originally conditioned to be separated from ourselves. So, so NVC... Um, helps us to not only relate to ourselves better, but to inter, to, to, inter, to relate to all these aspects within ourselves, because we're much more complex is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. And then it helps us to interrelate with 
other at other you know our other members of our species, so to speak, so that we can look at where these common factors are, or these common feelings, these common desires, these needs. All species, and particularly our own species, but all species. So that gets me to what are these needs? So Marshall says that all human beings, every single one, shares the same set of needs. Now, other species also have needs, obviously. Some of them will be the same as human needs, but some will be different. So the set of human needs is what defines me as a human being and not a sea cucumber or an oak tree, you know, Mm -hmm. that also have needs. Mm -hmm. But what makes me a human being? So this is how I help people figure out what these are. I like to give people three gifts. The first gift is a PhD in cultural ethnography. What's that mean? Meaning you, you have the uh, understanding of how to interview people from any culture. Okay. Okay. Then the second gift is the ability to travel anywhere on the planet instantly, also in time as well as space. So you can go back and interview humans that are long dead, and you can interview humans in the future. This sounds mm-hmm. like remote viewing to me, but go okay. ahead. Okay, all right. And the third one is sort of a Star Trek thing. You have in, uh, the gift to be able to understand any language. So these are your three instant gifts. Now, I'd like you to go off and interview any human being you can find or groups of humans and ask them, what do humans need to thrive? Not survive, but thrive. So you're talking about beyond food, water, um, clothing. Those are part of it, too. Okay. Those are part of it, right? Because humans need water you do, to thrive. You, you de- okay, okay. Okay, but what and what are the words that would be common on all the lists? Well, I think everyone would say love. Absolutely. Connection. To, 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 because it's the separation that sometimes we're, where we see we see this some of these well, I'm going into another realm but these tragedies that well I, what I would term tragedies that happen sometimes you know gunners gunning down innocents and so on and so forth that there many times a common theme is these are people on the periphery they're they're outside mm-hmm. the community they're they're separate mm-hmm. and I see sometimes in life threatening illness people feel separate. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that the more we bring people to the community, I think of some of the Native American healers that talk about that, that the community heals the community. Mm-hmm. The individual needs the community to so, thrive. So you've just mentioned community, and with that would be belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, Desmond Tutu says that's one thing humans need is belonging. We are human because we belong. Mm-hmm. So community, love, connection, well-being, support. These are all the things that I heard you talking about, Cynthia, in, in your example. All of these would be some of our beautiful, innate human needs. That we're always striving to reach towards those things. The thing is that sometimes our striving, our choices are tragic. They're tragic because they actually keep me, not because they're wrong, but they keep me from having those needs nurtured. Right. One of the examples I saw in Marshall Rosenberg's uh, YouTube video that he talks about is that, that, that whole thing of share one and two, of the, the blame or the shame and mm-hmm. the guilt, and that when you go into someone in your face, it's all your fault. And it's like if you want closeness and you're blaming someone, mm-hmm. you're, again, it's you're, you're, what, you persist, what you resist will persist. I mean, it's like how can you open that up? 
for them to get close to you when you're you're so violent and you're expressing your pain in the best way you know how because you're actually wanting understanding and acceptance and connection but it can't get you what you need but it's not but my behavior is not getting me what i need so through nonviolent communication this is i i know you might not like this word tool but i i don't know of a better word right now that it can be a tool to help us look deeper and to be more fully our authentic selves so we can connect yes. with other people authentically and then not only get these needs met for ourselves but for that other person. Exactly. I actually um, like, I prefer to say getting the needs nurtured as opposed to met. And this is subtle because Marshall talks about needs as being met and unmet. Okay. And I have found in my own practice of this mm-hmm. that that part of the phrase didn't help me. To uh. think of a need as unmet, um, I, I had a, well, it should be met. And it should be met by you. Mm, expectation. Okay? There's expectation and should in there. So I have found it, it worked more profoundly in my life if I could just connect fully to the beauty of the need and not identify it right now as met or unmet. But that all humans inside of them have this flowing uh, rivers of needs. And I often visualize needs as a symphony orchestra. And that everyone has the same symphony orchestra within them. But in any moment in a piece of music, not everybody's uh, instruments are all playing at the same time. So in this moment, uh, the need of love and compassion and tenderness might be what's alive in this moment. And for you, it could be something different, the need of understanding or solitude. And that's where we often get in conflict with people because different needs are up in that moment. So our strategies are what we're picking to try to nurture needs. Mm -hmm. And my strategy seems so different than your strategy. So we could be arguing, well, no, we should go to Aunt Martha's for Christmas. Uh, No, uh, we should stay home. You know, we're arguing about strategy. Well, what need are you trying to nurture by going to Aunt Martha's? And what need might I be trying to nurture by staying home? If we can get the needs on the table, and then, that, that, that requires the willingness to be vulnerable and to be open, yes? Can I say invites instead of requires? Okay, yeah. All right. All right, yeah. Because it's all choice, and I want to be careful about things that appear to limit our choice. Yeah, that are uh, yeah, right? autocratic language. It invites way. us to put the needs on the table. And when I can see what needs are alive for you and you can see what needs are alive for me right now, because we share the same needs, I don't know what the answer will be, but creativity arises. That's, that's the group. It's the we creativity. And we're going to have to leave it there. Um, this was an interesting conversation, and I want to thank my guests, um, Peggy Smith, nonviolent communication teacher and naturopathic doctor, um, Terry Lee Cookson, with this conversation on nonviolent communication and health. And we'll, we'll, we'll continue this down the road. We're going to have a, another program on nonviolent communication in terms of empathy and health. So please stay tuned. This is Cynthia Swan for Healthy Options, and thank you for listening.